0: Between them, no. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverdi. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. It's jumping. Coming smooth. It's jumping. And the gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your co host, Zach Alboverdi. Joined. To my right by Graham Hall, basketball beat writer, and many more for the Gainesville Sun. Another week in the building. Graham, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great. Always good to be here with you.
1: Been a busy week for the Florida program. A little bit of disappointment, obviously, with gymnastics and volleyball, but a lot of exciting things happening, as usual. And I wouldn't want to break them down with anyone else but you.
0: Absolutely. We definitely got some uh, items to get into today. We will talk UF hoops and all the latest happenings with that program with Chris Harry from Fortigators.com, kind of recapping the season, looking at the four transfers that have officially been added to the team and also the impact of the two assistant coaches that have now taken head coaching jobs from Mike White's program. We will also get into some recruiting talk in this segment, and Graham and I will talk some other UF sports after our segment with Chris. But Graham, I want to start with recruiting because... There were some guys in the news this weekend because of a lot of camps going on, some Florida targets and commits standing out, and guys that perform well, but certainly the one that we want to highlight here on the show today is Gators quarterback commit Nick Evers, who went out and performed at the Dallas Regional for the Lead 11 on Sunday, and that's the second time in five weeks, Graham, that he's been at a camp in Dallas and showed out. You know, The first time he went to the Under Armour camp and won quarterback MVP shortly after committing to Florida. Now he goes out and performs incredibly at this regional for the Elite 11 and gets the invite to the finals. And why this is significant is certainly it's great news for for Nick and an accomplishment for him, but just kind of the trend of quarterback recruiting we've seen now for three years in a row of a guy who commits to Ford as a three-star, earns four-star status, And ends up as an Elite 11 invitee. And now we've seen it from Anthony Richardson, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, and now Nick Evers. And he wasn't just a
1: guy kind of who was an afterthought in that list either. You saw some of the reviews coming out over the weekend talking about him being the number one, the number two passer there, praising his ball, how he composes himself before the throw. I thought that he showed a whole lot of poise out there. And really, you know, Zach, you and I have been saying it every single week since Florida got his commitment. This is a guy that it's still very early in the process. He hasn't really had a chance to show what he can do. And now under the lights, as you mentioned, another guy proving the naysayers wrong here and getting a lot of national acclaim, which in turn gives Florida in the spotlight right now, which we always talk about a dead period an off offseason. Anytime you can get yourself in the headlines, Florida's name is attached every time Nick Evers goes out there, and you got to certainly love that as a Florida fan.
0: Yeah, still have some running backs and wide receivers and other offensive prospects that they're recruiting and targeting. So to have your quarterback commit going out there on the camp circuit, performing in that fashion, and then obviously being actively recruiting like we've talked about, certainly that first June visit weekend, he's going to be involved in recruiting more than a dozen guys that are scheduled to show up in Gainesville. and That's also going to be a busy week for camps. As we saw uh, from this week, the coaches announced that they're going to have summer camps in June starting that first week. So After a year hiatus, we get to open things back up and see all the prospects that are going to be making visits, not just for official visits but just to come up for a day, work out with the coaches or just walk around campus. It's uh, definitely going to pick up and and we're going to have some guys on definitely to talk about that once we get into the summer months. But I definitely encourage everyone to go to GatorSports.com and check out my latest feature involving in UF recruiting. You know, last week we highlighted some of the former players who are now staff members at UF, including two guys who work in the recruiting department. But we highlighted another guy this week, John Heron, who is from Miami and definitely got a lot of ties to South Florida and did a really interesting feature on a close relationship and friendship he has with Miami's director of recruiting, David Cooney. The two of them go back to their days at South Ridge and and some of the work that they did helping kids on the basketball court and on the football field. And now the friends and former coworkers are recruiting against each other at rival schools. And usually, Graham, as you know, you really don't communicate with your rivals, right? You don't acknowledge them on Twitter or have any back and forth on social media. So it's really unique to see Hova is his nickname, and Cooney kind of go back and forth the way that they do the past couple years, talking trash. Never specifically about recruits, but always somewhat involving recruiting. It was just a really cool look at their relationship and kind of how they're fighting for those top prospects down there in South Florida.
1: I hate to use the term negative recruiting in any way, but this is the type of negative recruiting that I like to see. When you have a friendly (laughs) rivalry and you can make accurate, legitimate jabs, rather than kind of selling a kid a false pipe dream behind closed doors so yep. the kid can't come back out there and say, well, they told me this. Putting it out there on the Twitter streets, so to speak, I think is the way <laughs> to do it. And and you know that both of these guys love to talk through social media and seeing them have that back and forth, that little bit of competitive fire adding to it on top of the Florida-Miami rivalry. I, I just love to see that. I'm really looking forward to reading the story, but certainly one that I think we often forget about. We know all the public recruitments, Getting guys to camps, which is so critical for what these two do, that's when a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes work happens, and seeing the return of that, I know that they're both looking forward to hit the trail and make up for a lot of lost time, 15 months without having a chance to do that, And, and that's really what can make some classes down the road. We've seen multiple Florida guys come through the building who were identified as sophomores, and they often brought themselves to campus on their own volition, their own dollar. Yep. Well, Michael P. Ryan that was a huge part of his story and how he got to Florida. This is going to be huge down the line when we look back at, hey, maybe this camp was huge in getting Florida back or, or getting Miami back to where they want to be on the recruiting trail.
0: And one of the things that we've seen Florida do under Dan Mullen is continue to make South Florida a priority, not just with hires like John Heron, but some of the other guys that they've added to the staff, Tim Brewster, Corey Bell, and, We know if you want to recruit the Sunshine State and get some of the best talent, you need to be able to have success down in that Miami-Dade area. And for Florida, they're going to have to always contend with Miami because that's going to be their stomping grounds. And you saw them make some hires this offseason with Traverse Robinson and DeMarcus Van Dyke. Both of those guys now on the road recruiting for UM. That's going to help their case. But as, you know, John Heron talked about, Ford has got some firepower on their staff and some other coaches like Garrick McGee and Crime Dog who have some experience down in Miami. So they're gonna continue to recruit the three oh five. I think as long as you can go down there and get some of those top players you're going to help your recruiting classes. And two of the most highly rated guys that they signed in this past class were both from Miami and teammates, Jason Marshall Jr. and Corey Collier Jr. So definitely want to keep making that a priority. And and as we know, uh, Graham Hall. It's going to be a priority for Mike White to fill out his staff now as he heads into the off season with two assistant coaches that have been hired with head coaching jobs. We already saw Jordan Mincy heading to Jacksonville. Now Darius Nichols gets hired by Radford and it's going to create an opportunity for him to bring in some new guys and, and get a fresh set of eyes on his product and try to improve his program potentially.
1: Yeah, it's going to be huge to see what Florida does here in terms of how you replace both these guys who, let's note, Mike White was extremely complimentary of Darius Nichols and Jordan Mincy consistently over the past couple of years. Two guys that joined Florida staff back in the 2015 season when Mike White arrived in Gainesville. And he has spoken about how they are on the cusp of a head coaching opportunity. And while there are certainly a lot of them out there, 350 plus at the Division One level, sometimes you have to start smaller when you're beginning as a head coach and, and something Mike White experienced obviously at Louisiana Tech and you're seeing two guys mincing out at Jacksonville a program that certainly you look at who they've lost nine guys since he arrived to the transfer portal now have a he has a chance to reshape the roster and now Daris, going back to his hometown university certainly a place he didn't play but Radford University a place he's familiar with he knows the landscape he knows where talent booms at the high school level there he knows the field I'm certain that he has connections dating back to when he played at West Virginia it's going to be great to see what he can do with that opportunity but certainly in terms of Florida they're going to have to nail these hires everyone talks about what they could do with the transfer portal who they could add with the final scholarship slots well they're going to need to add some assistant coaches who can go out there and do that recruiting first in my mind and it's going to be like I said interesting to see what they do here to kind of make up for uh, some attrition now in the coaching department.
0: Absolutely, and obviously we have some attrition that we've seen from the Florida basketball team, and one guy that everyone is still waiting on is Keontae Johnson to see what his status is going to be for next season. We got an update from number 11 on Wednesday through a post on his social media. He wanted to make sure that he thanked everyone who's been praying for him, had their concerns, and he wanted to kind of Let everyone know where things currently stand. He said, I am progressing and steadily making progress daily in my health. Johnson wrote on social media, I'm patiently waiting on medical clearance while speaking with my family, doctors, coaches, and athletic trainer. I've decided not to enter my name into the 2021 NBA draft. I plan to keep working to prepare for the upcoming season. My story continues to be written. So that's where things stand with Keontae right now. Certainly we'll continue to monitor his situation, but there are four guys that we know for sure that are going to be suiting up for the Gators next season. And after Graham and I potted last week, the basketball program officially announced those four transfers and kind of now we get to see what they bring to the table and how their production is going to stack up with some of the guys that Florida lost and we're going to take this first break now we'll go back on the other side and and be joined by Chris Harry from Gators.com to get perspective on all that and more right here on the Gator Sports podcast back into the Gator Sports Podcast. We're now joined by our next guest, Chris Harry from gatorscom to talk some UF hoops. Definitely been looking forward to this conversation since the season ended. Chris, welcome into the show. How's it going, my friend? Hello, Zach. Hello, Graham. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great, man. We're doing great. Definitely glad to have you on to kind of catch everybody up on everything that's been happening with the hoops program. Um Chris before we get into all the off season moves and some of the new guys that have been added to the roster, um, I just want to get your now that we've been a few weeks removed just your overall take on on last season uh certainly how the gators did in March Madness and just kind of the highs and lows and ebbs and flows of the year
2: well, I think if you poll just about anybody with regards to the their takeaway from the season i think the I think how the season ended was 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 disappointing to be so close to making a sweet 16 run um, and, you know, to the, 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 the way those last 10 minutes unfolded um, against Oral Roberts, uh, I think Florida was certainly in command of the game and kind of let it slip away. Uh, I, I really think you got to give a lot of credit to Oral Roberts who had two players – Two really, really good players uh, that provided matchup problems against Florida. I mean, uh, if you look at Max Albus, the he was the leading scorer in the country. He was able, he was able to attack against uh, Florida's
1: perimeter uh, defenders.
2: I mean, uh, now, now, now you got the power him
1: forward. It escapes me as well, yeah, but he yeah, was averaging eighteen and Abinor, ten coming into that game. Abinor, that sounds, me- yeah, that sounds right.
2: Yeah, I mean he, I mean he was just an inside-outside kind of nightmare uh, matchup against them. I mean he hit threes, he grabbed offensive rebounds, he was an animal inside. He's grabbed, you know, it, it, he was just he was he was terrific down the stretch, and you know those those two guys that day were better than and you know whatever. Florida had out there. Um, so, I, I mean, people say, well, oh, they lost Old Roberts at 15 seed. Well, that, that team beat Ohio State, who was a two seed uh, game before. So yeah. um, they, had, they had something going on that was pretty good and uh, whatever Florida threw at them didn't particularly work that day. Certainly the last few minutes, I thought Florida was playing really, really well. I didn't particularly like that they slowed the game down when they did. Um, I mean, the was fans complaining about that. I, I, re- I really did, didn't have an issue with that. They seemed to be – they seemed, uh, Oral Roberts was a team that was playing with about seven guys. They seemed to be getting tired at that time. Uh, but that was the, that was the decision uh, Florida made. Apparently Florida's players were getting tired too. They thought they had a better chance doing it that way, and it it it, it, it 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 didn't work out. It came
0: back to bite them. And then, Chris, obviously, after the season ends, the performance from Trey Mann in March certainly catapulted him to go and to enter in the NBA draft. And then we saw some guys make a decision to leave the program. And as it started to happen, you know, one guy after another, I know it kind of maybe caused some concerns for fans, but as we've seen this offseason, it has become kind of the norm in college basketball with the transfer portal and the way things have emerged. What did you think about the guys that decided to depart from the program and, and how Ford had to kind of go through the offseason season to make up for those losses?
2: Well, it's funny when, it, when, it, when those players decided to, to make the, to make their moves, um, yeah, I, 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 you saw stuff like mass exodus and the, <laughs> the destruction of the program and the rats jumping shit. I, I just, I just saw, um, uh, uh, some statistics yesterday Texas A&M has ten players leaving. Okay, <laughs> Georgia has nine. Uh, Florida is middle of the road. I want to say there may be about seventh, ranked seventh, eighth, or ninth in terms of those four players leaving. Um, it didn't surprise me, obviously, and it didn't surprise either of you guys that Trey Mann opted to to take a stab at the NBA. I mean, he was one of the last guys to leave the underclassmen uh, process last uh, uh, last summer, um, and he he was terrific. You mentioned the the march he had. Yeah, I want to say the last. Uh, six or seven games. I think he averaged 22 points. He shot over 50%, uh, almost 50% from three. I mean, he was grabbing rebounds at a high level. I mean, he he was one of the most improved players in the country and, you know, good luck to him. He has a chance to be the first Gator uh, drafted since Eric Murphy went in the second round in 2013. Florida hasn't had a first round draft pick since Brad Beal in 2012, if you can believe that. Wow. Uh, Yeah. But uh, um, yes. So, so out goes, I think, um, uh, uh, no, out goes Omar Payne. Out goes Noah Locke. Out goes Quez Glover, and out goes Um, You know those guys. Uh, it's 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 their decision. I mean, when you when you just, whatever whatever they they're looking for at at, at Florida right now um, apparently isn't there for them. So uh, and 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 who are we to say one way or the other? I, I just point out that Noah Locke was a three year starter here who scored 933 points and you know t- you know technically he could be here two more years cuz he has the covid free year all these guys do that they could play yeah. with if he wanted to stay two more he could end up being a 15 1600 point scorer here and maybe one of the top 3 three point shooters of all time and be remembered as one of one of, a great florida gator basketball player but um you know he crunched the numbers and he crunched his 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 situation his personal situation and talked it over with his family and ended up, ended up at Louisville. So, um, you wonder, I haven't had a chance to talk to Noah. You you wonder also, this is a guy who came in with Keontae Johnson and with Andrew Nemhard. Andrew Nembhardt's his best friend. Andrew Nemhard's at Gonzaga. We don't know the situation with Keontae Johnson. Keontae Johnson could be here next year. He may not be next year. He may, he may play again. He may never play again. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's to be determined. Um, but for him he may feel a little isolated and he wanted a new start I mean we salute him good luck to Noah good luck to Omar Payne who's going to Illinois he's going to step into a really great team it's gonna be a lot of pressure on him to perform at a more consistent level than he was doing here um Quez Glover he ends up at Sanford maybe that's a better place for him in terms of a a mid-major kind of situation than came to Florida I mean um He had a great game uh, against Tennessee this year, against his hometown. That's something he can take away and always remember. But again, uh, Quez Glover was a guy who – had ball control issues, had uh, uh, ball security issues. I'd rather say almost twice as many turnovers he had assists. And when you're a point guard, that's not a very good combination. Osio Sifo was a junior college project was coming here. He, he plays hard, uh, can, can guard a bunch of positions, was in foul trouble most of the year, as I'm sure Graham can remember. Um, he's going to go play with Jordan Mincy at Jacksonville. So those guys, I mean, I did a, a, a thing on FloridaGators.com where your readers can go look at. I mean, those are the four outgoing University of Florida players, uh, and they combined for 227 games uh, together um, and 94 starts, a little over 4,000 minutes, and 1,323 points and 462 rebounds. Now we'll jump ahead to the four guys coming in. You're talking about Brandon McKissick from Missouri-Kansas City, Flanders Fleming from Charleston Southern, Myron Jones from Penn State, C.J. Felder, uh, a forward from Boston College. These guys are all, I mean, except with the exception of Felder, all these guys have played at least three years. Felder is, has two years behind him. He comes in as the – he was the number two shot blocker in the ACC last year. Only Jay Huff, a 7-1 Virginia center, uh, one of the best in the country, uh, had more block shots in the ACC than he had last year. These guys combined have over 100 more games of college experience. They have almost uh, uh, three times as many starts. Okay, they have almost twice as many minutes uh, combined, and almost uh, four times the points combined. So, and 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 almost three times the rebounds combined. So they are proven commodities at their previous stops. Now, what are they going to do here? That's a that's obviously something that remains to be seen. And I think the biggest thing, I think they'll be good players here. I think they'll be productive players here. But what has to happen? They have to be good chemistry players because. These are guys that are used to performing at a high level and beyond that producing at a high level and playing a lot of minutes. They're coming to a place where there's already minutes spoken for and they're going to be competing against each other for minutes. So are they going to be okay with stepping back their responsibilities and their roles a little bit? That's what makes culture uh, successful. Um, If guys are willing to play for the greater good. Um, A a guy a couple years ago, people say – a of these guys are coming from mid-majors, um, you know, like uh, Missouri-Kansas City or Charleston Southern. How's that going to equate to the SEC? Well, a few years back, Canyon Barry came from the College of Charleston. He was sixth man of the year. Igor Kulichov came from Rice and was a tremendous player on Chris Yose's last team. The first or second best player on the team, you could have argued with him. Productive rebounder and a terrific scorer and three-point shooter. And a chemistry guy. So are, can these guys be like that? I mean, it's four of them. That's a, that's, that's a lot to ask, but um, that's the duty right now of Mike White and whoever his staff is going to be besides, besides, yeah. besides Al Finkins. Um, and they have, they they have time to figure to, to uh, obviously, obviously figure that out. But uh, that'll be to me the biggest question. Cause I mean, every summer guys, every fall, beginning of the year, I, I see these guys, they're, They're loving on each other. They're having a great time. Chemistry is so good in in September and October. And once November, December start rolling around and minutes are are spoken for and roles start to be defined. And all of a sudden, I'm a a guy who thought I was going to play 20 minutes and I'm playing 10. That's when sometimes things start to happen uh, and guys start looking at each other sideways. And that's when you start to have chemistry problems. And it's happened here before.
1: And it wouldn't be a surprise if one of the transfers came in and competed for a starting role. I mean, we just saw it last year in Colin Castleton, uh, his battle with Omar Payne when he got to campus. Not to put you on the spot too much here, and we all ultimately know how much value preseason predictions do ultimately hold. But based on your talks with the four transfers, and we encourage everyone to go out there and read uh, your stories, profiling all the four additions to Florida, who would you expect right now to have the biggest impact on this roster next season?
2: Biggest impact on the road? Well, I just, when I when I look at, guys, I, I see, and again, these aren't guys, I haven't looked at a bunch of tape of these guys for God's sakes, you know, you just, I, but I'm intrigued by Myron Jones because he's the guy at Penn State uh, who averaged averaged 14 points a game over the last two years. So that's some bona fide productivity in a conference that people were saying was the best conference in the country this past season. So, uh, I, I, and, and I'm not giving it, a slight to McKissick and Fleming. These are guys that went out and scored 25, 30 points in some games. Um, and both of those guys uh, were defensive players of the year in their respective conferences. So that, ex- that's, that gets me a little excited, but I know it gets the coaching staff uh, really excited because they think they can get on the perimeter and defend some guys. And that was a problem uh, this, this past year. Um, uh, Noah Locke is is a tremendous shooter okay I don't know if Noah Locke is gonna thinks he's going to go and be this I'm going to beat guys off the dribble I'm going to be a point guard or whatever I, I don't know what's in his head if he's th- looking for a bigger role the guy had 17 assists in 25 games this past year I don't think he's ever going to be a point guard um but uh, and he's not a great defender he has trouble staying in front of guys and have and did most of his I, 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 I don't think these guys are 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 are, are from that same cloth. or cut from that same cloth. These guys are aggressive on ball defenders. Uh, in fact, um, McKissick and uh, uh, McKissick twice this it, during the season in the Summit League faced Oral Roberts and Max Alvis got his points, but he had to work from him. McKissick stared him down both times. I think I think one game they both scored twenty four while guarding each other. I want to think the next game one at 24, the other at 22 or something like that. So, uh, uh, these guys are proven commodities on both ends of the court. And you asked me, I, I, I like Myron Jones, but I, I think between McKissick and Fleming, one of those guys I think is going to have to come off the bench and which how are they going to, how is either one of those guys going to handle that? Um, because, I mean, I, I think Tyree Ty, Ty, Ty Appleby right now is the point guard. I think Myron Jones can play a little point guard. I think McKissick can play a little point guard in a pinch. But um, one of those guys is going to have to take a little bit of a step back role. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have to deal with that somehow. They'll have to deal with it with a smile on their face or else you've got chemistry problems.
0: Absolutely. We're speaking with Chris Harry from fortigators.com. Final thing for you, Chris, obviously some new players that are going to be featured on next year's team, but some new coaches as well. Mike White, as you mentioned, has two hires to make on his staff after Jordan Mincy and Darius Nichols have both received head coaching jobs. How, what do you make of that? What do you think that that can do potentially to this program to have two new guys come in with a fresh set of eyes on your product just to you know, bring in some new ideas and, and certainly work through an offseason where there's going to be a lot of new pieces to the roster?
2: Yeah, so with Darius Nichols going to Radford, uh, Radford, Virginia, where he grew up, uh, and 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 Mincy going to Jacksonville, you throw in uh, Dusty May, who went to FAU, I think it was uh, uh, two two years ago. Uh, every assistant coach Mike White brought with him from Louisiana Tech is now a Division One head coach. So congratulations mm. to those guys. But that's two two voids to fill, and I know one of the things that that, that Daris Nichols had to do before he went to his press conference this week up in Radford he had to call these transfers and tell them, Hey guys, I'm leaving, uh, because he was instrumental. This is, these guys are, are are really good in in dealing with players and, and they were, they were heavy handed in terms of, uh, convincing these guys to come here. So now these guys are coming to play for Mike White and they're coming to play for Al Pinkins and, uh, two guys to be determined. So yeah, this is, these are big hires. What, what, what can they do? I don't know who the guys are going to be, but, uh, uh, if, if if you bring in say a former a former assistant head head coach, then I think that's a different kind of perspective um, Mike White can have in terms of a guy who's dealt with it, who sat in the chair before and has made decisions. It's something you can bounce uh, bounce ideas off with guys. Maybe you bring in somebody who's run a little bit different offense. Maybe you bring in a guy who's been uh, has NBA background because uh, certainly uh, players like to hear about that, like to hear those kind of stories. So um, he has some decisions to make. Uh, uh, as far as I know right now, there's, there's, there's not a hire that's imminent right now. So this is something he's taken his time with and he'll make the decision when he feels it's right.
0: Absolutely. Well, it would definitely felt right to finally talk to you, Chris. We definitely wanted to get your perspective since the season ended and you did a great job profiling the new guys that have been added to the program. So definitely encourage everyone to go to fortigators.com, read up on those guys, see their production and how it stacks up to the departures. And I think, You'll feel a lot better about where this thing is headed, and if for next season. So, Chris, always great catching up with you, man. Appreciate the time.
2: Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Graham. Enjoy the Austin
0: Absolutely. You no, too, man. No, no doubt. <laughs> Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast. I and Graham here and appreciate Chris Harry for his time. We've definitely been looking forward to having him on since the season ended and made a lot of sense now that those transfers are official. And last week, Graham, especially during the weekend, I think Gator Nation was on the edge of their seats watching the gymnastics team and the volleyball team trying to compete for championships and, and both gave valued efforts and i think had fans excited to tune in to watch
1: them yeah gymnastics let's start there the way that just ended you got to give a shout out to michigan winning their first gymnastics championship in history but florida really before jim harbaugh yeah good good (laughs) note right there there you always got to have a chance to dig a team that especially you know has the number over florida i hate to mention that but michigan the wolverines winning the championship there florida really kind of put themselves out of it on beam with with two falls one from Peyton Richards who actually fell a day earlier in Florida's qualifying meet on Friday and then Trinity Thomas we knew we talked about a lot on the show and I wrote about it on gatorsports.com that she really was not at 100% at any point since injuring both of her ankles March 5th at Alabama and you saw that on beam uh, she just was not ready to go there was a reason that she was doing only bars because it was keeping her off of those ankles, except for her dismount. And you saw, I just, I think, an athlete who tried to give it all she had, but was not a hundred percent. And Florida just finished fourth there in the final. Certainly, nothing to hang your heads at, considering all things. But the injuries, everything that mounted up, Florida could not put a finish on that number one season. And then, and then volleyball. Mary Wise is a tremendous coach, and one of these years she's going to get the championship. But they just keep running in. To the juggernauts. I mean, first it was Ohio State, which that really could have gone either way. Florida was going to lose that second set and had to go on a 6-0 rally to take the second set against uh, Ohio State before they pulled out the win. And then less than 24 hours later, I don't gripe often because you got to remain objective. But Florida had to play two matches within a 24-hour span while Wisconsin had nearly 48 hours of rest Come on. before having to play the Gators. You know, I I don't want to complain about anything like that, but it's just the truth of the matter. And then Florida goes out there against Wisconsin, who had only played 15 games this season but had yet to lose, had yet to be taken to five sets, and Florida had a 9-6 lead there in the fifth set and just could not close it out against a really, really good Badgers team that I would not be surprised. Uh they they could win multiple championships there. That w- that was just tremendous to see out of them. So a little bit of a disappointing weekend there from the ladies, Zach.
0: But certainly not from the baseball team and the softball team. They were both victorious, got some series victories, and for the baseball team, they swept Missouri for the fifth consecutive series in a row and put themselves in a on a five game winning streak. And they made it six with their win over Jacksonville. So certainly playing well right now. They got to go back on the road this weekend at Auburn to try and get their first series victory on the road this season, but now they've definitely regained some confidence and, and maybe have figured some things out on the mound that they can try and do that. So and certainly a shout out to the softball team. Uh they got the win over Alabama and then defeated Florida Gulf Coast three to nothing the other night to give Tim Walton his nine hundred and fiftieth career win. So That's a lot of victories, my friend. That is a lot of victories. So shout out to him and certainly the ladies for getting the job done. They'll be uh, in action this weekend against South Carolina, so we'll see how they fare against the Gamecocks. And that'll do it for Graham and I. We'll be back next week to kind of recap all those items and and look ahead to recruiting as we kind of turn the month on on April. And, uh, you know, we're only a few weeks away, man, from this thing cranking back up. I'm ready for it. You know, we got to get camp season overweight.
1: Like I said, make up for a little bit of lost time. I'm looking forward to getting back out there to the IPF and see Seen some of the action, my friend.
0: I know. Usually, when those camps come around, after a couple days, they can get long and tiring, and you spend some hours out there sweating in the sun. But like I said, after a summer where we didn't get nothing, uh, I think reporters, players, everyone's just ready to get back on the a little grass. Jumpy,
1: feeling a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit. I want to hear the. Up.
0: I want to hear the whistles. I want to hear the assistant coaches yelling. You know all that good stuff that we missed out on. I need to be almost hit by a player while looking down on my phone. I need it to spark well, some life. Don't in listen. You don't want to go Amy. Amy Campbell now. Oh, remember she what a was reference. taken out by Ermin Lane? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was uh, shout out to Amy though. She, Fifteen seconds of fame though. Hey, she stood in the paint though. Mm, like, took like, one like l- a champ, like there. an OG. Absolutely. So, uh, well, we appreciate all you all listening. We'll be back next week with another episode for Graham Hall. I'm Zach no one.